From the book Earth Medicine, those who observe human nature see that those who observe nothing think about life happening to them. What happened to the free will choice of deciding to be? And I have an obnoxious person in the next room. This is a Native American saying reminding us that we are uh, creators. And when I started the Main Street Universe radio network with Mr. Kevin Baird, I guess you could say about six years ago now, something close to that, it was to remind people that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined, and that we are all creators. We'll be right back with Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Ms. Susan Weed. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Thought Ancient Wisdom Movement. 
Science of Mind Church is what it's called. But she's quite good. She has a quite professional, sort of professional New Agey uh, minister air about her and has talked about many interesting topics, including what can, we can learn uh, from our lessons from uh, Donald Trump, <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, there he is. She did a pretty good show about what, what we can learn spiritually from that. Anyhow, so that's every Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, The Art of Living Spiritually with Reverend Tris Hall. Of course, we have on Tuesdays um, Susan Weed, the show you're listening to right now, Green Magic, Green Medicine, and myself and Janice R. White. And tomorrow, Janice and I will just be opening the phone lines and doing tarot readings. So call in at the number 760-542-4345 if you want a reading from myself and Janice. And maybe even one of our friends and guest readers will call in, like Kevin or Larry or somebody. We will see. Anyhow, I see Susan is in the queue. And I'm going to go ahead and take that call, open up her microphone as it's spinning, 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 spinning. Green blessings, oh. Daniel. How are you? I am well. It feels like it's been like four years since I have talked to you. <laughs> it's like a like life, doesn't it? Oh, it my. Does. It's good. Goodness, and I have certainly spent a lifetime um, in Australia, starting down in Melbourne and walking in a public park and meeting a lemon eucalyptus and finding some wonderful gym equipment right there in the park, scaled for anybody to be able to use it, and working my way right up the east coast of Australia, unfortunately getting hotter and hotter and hotter. I think there were temperatures like up to 34, which is over 100 degrees. By the time I got up to uh, Melbourne, um, so oh, by the time by the time I got up to Brisbane, I started in Melbourne. It was reasonable temperatures. By the time I got to Brisbane, it was just staggeringly hot. But I attended a wonderful a women's goddess conference, and there were some okay. Aboriginal elders there. Oh, cool. And there was one particular um, Aboriginal elder who we are to call aunties. That's their preferred term named Milawanga, and Milawanga did me the very great honor of coming to my plenary session, where I talked about the three traditions of healing. And we've talked about the three traditions of healing, the scientific tradition that measures and fixes, the heroic tradition that cleanses and balances, and the wise woman tradition that nourishes wholeness. Well, the next day, she was giving a workshop on women's business. And that was, that's what they call their shamanic skills or their healing skills, is women's business. And to be a businesswoman means to be a shaman or a healer. And uh, so I came to her class on women's business. It was just wonderful. She uh, talked to us about digging sticks that seemed very close to my heart and the bowl and the significance of the digging stick and the bowl and the, the bags that, that they craft and the fiber and spinning. And then at some point during her talk, she looked at me and she said, and we need Susan to come and to take care of the elders who have white people's diseases. Oh. And I was like, wow, you know, really touched to hear that and kind of like, oh, you know, I could be of use. Oh, my goodness. And so I waited in line after her workshop to talk to her. And I simply said to her, I heard you say you want my help. And I want to let you know that my help is available to you. Any way you want to make use of me, and I didn't say out loud, but in my mind I said, whether it's my physical presence or whether it's in dream time, I'm available to you. 
Hmm. And she said, then you must address me as sister, and this is your mother, and this is your grandmother. And so just like that, I found myself adopted into an Aboriginal clan, into an Aboriginal nation. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it was, it struck me with this incredible force of joy. I just felt, I really felt like I was floating above the earth. And I I expressed to one of the women that was there at the conference, I said, I feel like I've just had a dream come true that I didn't even know I wanted. Mm, just a new experience, and but one that resonates with you. Very, very deeply. So... One of many experiences in Australia. Wonderful people and wonderful times. I got to hear a kookaburra laugh. Oh, I remember the I remember the old song, kookaburra. <laughs> right, and singing from a eucalyptus tree, and of course, eucalyptus is the gum tree that kookaburra is right. sitting in. Oh. Laugh. <laughs> and of course, whenever we were trying to be solemn, the kookaburra would go. <laughs> Oh, wow. I've never heard it. I've never been there to hear that. (laughs) It really is like somebody just laughing you off. And then, of course, there were also cockatoos, which seemed to complain about everything. (laughs) Very loud birds and uh, just a host of interesting places. Of course, one's mind has been given over and over again. Uluru, the great red rock in the middle of Australia and all that great desert around it. And although there are certainly people who live in that desert area, let's face it, they don't live much in that desert area. Someone once said that Australia is like looking down on a monk's head. So the whole interior is bald in desert, but there's a fringe growing around the edge of green, and that's where the people live. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so I was actually in, you know, like shady forest with lots of birds and flowering plants. It certainly wasn't the forest of home. And the plants were different. And many of them were aromatic because it is hot and dry even in the green areas. Especially as you get more and more north. And then the Aboriginal people were using those scented plants. They made, um, you know, special bush medicines with uh, lemongrass that they have and with the eucalyptus that they have, with a variety of scented plants. I asked one of the Aboriginal women, um, Billawara, who helped to organize the conference, if the Australian Aboriginal people had any plants that were psychoactive or psychedelic. And she said the closest that they had to that was a wild tobacco tree. Huh. But it wasn't really anything like the plants that we had in other areas of the world. Interesting. Quite. Being sacred again, like to the Native Americans, tobacco is certainly very sacred. Exactly. It's a, a totally different plant. Right. And I'm not sure that they called it anything to do with tobacco. I suspect that that's, you know, a white fella name because it does smell mm-hmm. like our tobacco, but the plants truly aren't related at all. Okay. 
Well, one of the things that being away for so long has done is that um, I'm going to need a little guidance. I believe, according to my notes, that we were talking about cedar, which is broomweed. Is that true? That sounds right. Okay. Good. And then I will trust my notes that we were indeed <laughs> talking about. Yeah. Are you going to trust them better than me, maybe, in my memory? No, I trusted you first. I looked at my notes and I went, I don't know if I trust these notes. I'm going to ask him. And you said, sure, yes. I said, oh, I trust your notes. Then, then I will trust the note. <laughs> because goodness only knows what that Susan of five weeks ago wrote here. <laughs> I'm sure she knew what she was doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she knew, what she, but do I know what she was doing? That's the question here. <laughs> but, and also, I guess because, um, you know, the way that experience can layer. And I did um, just about a year or so ago in Costa Rica a class about Sida, about oh. broomweed. And so I, I was saying that. Haven't I already talked to them about it? It's like, no, no, it's a different them, Susan. So our little marker here is at traditional Chinese medicine. So let's see what the Chinese people do. Let's see. They remember that this is a plant in the mallow family. It's related to hibiscus. It's related to okra. It's related to cotton. It's related to hollyhocks. And it's, of course, related to the little Malva neglecta that grows in all of our barnyards. And in Costa Rica, it is probably the most common weed, which is what got my interest in it. Because I like to go to a place, and I like to look around me and look underfoot and say, what am I standing on? What is the thing that everybody agrees is an, a weed and just hardly uses at all? And then to see what I can find about it. And I was just like bowled over by what I found out about Sida, Sida, especially Sida acuta, which in uh, Chinese medicine is Huang Haran, and also Sida rhombifolia, which is Huang Huamu, and probably other Sidas as well, says Stephen Herod Booner in his book Herbal Antibiotics. Um, I could not find very much on these plants in the Chinese literature, even though they have a longish history of use there. They're generally decocted with a dosage of about an ounce at a time. And they believe that seed clears heat and benefits dampness. But they also note that CETA is antibiotic, anti-inflammatory, analgesic, diuretic, and tonic. Not only that, cedars were commonly used to counter depression, bronchitis with cough and wheezing and urinary tract inflammations. Less common uses for cedar in China include skin problems, itching, eczema, especially of the scrotum, sores, boils, dysentery, gastritis, enteritis, tonsillitis, liver problems, jaundice. Malaria, colds, flus, stomach pain, and kidney stones. Looks like one of those plants that is underfoot, grows everywhere, and so not going to hurt anybody. Might as well boil it up and give it to them if they are hurting anywhere. Those mallows, 
contain such soothing substances. Even the hibiscus, made not from the root or the leaves, which are the more soothing parts of the plant in which we use with the seed, but even the hibiscus, the bracts of the flowers, as they're called, um, has been shown to soothe the blood vessels. So all of the mallows carry soothing into all of the vessels of our body. Western botanic practice, Ceda rumbifolia, was introduced into the United States in the 19th century as a fiber plant that was not used medicinally. The eclectics listed it under marshmallow and said, yes, it is mucilaginous and suggested it for the usual kind of skin problems, respiratory complaints, digestive complaints, scientific research. Okay. The recent focus on cryptolepine-containing plants, as well as traditional malaria plants, has stimulated a lot of interest in Ceda acuta and some of the more commonly used Asian Cedas, S-I-D-A. Most of the scientific studies have focused on phytochemical analysis and in vitro studies of the plant's antimicrobial actions with a smattering of in vivo studies. So what that in vitro means in glass, that's in petri dishes, and in vivo means in life, that's usually animal studies. The scientific exploration of these plants is still in its infancy, and no clinical trials have been conducted. At least that I'm aware of, says Stephen Herod Booner. There have been a number of studies of the antimicrobial activity of Ceda acuta, and they give a good indication of its potency, but nearly all the studies are flawed. Inexplicably, very few of the researchers appeared to be aware of the importance of proper preparation of plant extracts. All right. Looking only at the ethanol and water extract preparations in the study, the problems are twofold. First, they tended to use 90% to 95% pure alcohol to make the ethanol extracts. This means only the alcohol-soluble con- constituents were present in the extract. There would be a tiny amount of water-soluble constituents because there's a tiny amount of water. But most of the potent constituents including cryptolipine, are water-soluble. So that particular preparation method is going to impact uh, how the extract works against microorganisms. Secondly, when making water-based extracts, many of the researchers used a neutral pH-distilled water. Additionally, some made it as a cold maceration. These are problematical for several reasons. First, the alkaloids in the plant, most importantly the cryptolipine, and its derivatives are primarily soluble in water that is somewhat acidic. Secondly, the plant constituents are less soluble in cold water than in hot water. For the studies to be truly relevant, the water extracts should have used water with a pH from 1 to 6, to make sure they were acidic enough to extract the alkaloids and the water should have been hot. With the ethanol extracts, preparation should have been made using half water and half grain alcohol. The water should have been hot and the herb inserted, the mixture allowed to cool, and then the alcohol added. The differences in preparation techniques are the most likely reason that the antimicrobial actions of the plant vary as much as they do from study to study. Nevertheless, in all studies, Ceda acuta has been shown to be potently active against malarial parasites, 
staph bacteria and tuberculosis. Beyond that, there's a lot of variance. The best study took these factors into account but explored only alkaloid activity. The study found more activity from the alkaloids against gram-negative bacteria than previous research, which makes sense because cryptolepis has been found to be active against gram-negative bacteria simply due to the presence of cryptolepine and its derivatives. In fact, the alkaloidal extract of Ceta acuta was nearly as effective against gram-negative as against gram-positive bacteria. A close examination does indicate, however, that both cryptolepis and Ceta more easily kill gram-positive organisms than gram-negative. This does not mean they're not active. It simply means the dose needs to be higher if you're dealing with a gram-negative organism, an observation confirmed by studies on both plants. The drug made from the plants could be taken for a longer duration. Gram-negative bacteria do need a longer exposure to the herb than gram-positive bacteria in order to be killed. The use of a synergist that enhances antibacterial activity against gram-negative bacteria could help. In spite of the problems in the in vitro studies, tests for antimicrobial activity have borne out the traditional uses of CETA against microbial diseases. They have found CETA strongly active against Plasmodium, Staphylococcus aureus, and Mycobacterium fly, both resistant and non-resistant strains. CETA is highly active against Streptococcus pyogens, E. coli, Bacillus subtilis, Pasteurella mutococcidae, Salmonella, active against herpes simplex, Shigella, Listeria, Pseudomonas, Candida, Aspergillus, and still effective against other organisms, especially in increased doses. In many instances, CETA was more effective against the mentioned bacteria than pharmaceutical antibiotics. CETA increases glutathione levels in the blood, increases red blood cell numbers, making it good for treating anemia, and increases total white blood cell count, indicating an immune potentation effect that may tie in with its reported adaptogenic actions in traditional practice. In vivo studies have found Ceta acuta to have a strong and reliable anti-ulcerative effect, that it is it protects the stomach lining from the formation of induced ulcers. In vivo research has also found a strong analgesic action, that is a pain-killing action. Another in vivo study found CETA hepatoprotective against induced liver damage. CETA is used in India for people with liver disease, among other things. Several compounds from CETA have been found to inhibit induced preneoplastic lesions in mouth mammary tissues. That is a complicated way of saying 
that if they induce cells that could lead to breast cancer in mice, that CEDA inhibits that so that it does not grow into a cancer. In vivo studies have found CEDA to be hypoglycemic, lowering blood sugar concentration in diabetic mice, and anti-hyperlipidemic, lowering blood cholesterol and triglyceride levels also in the same diabetic mice. An analysis of Ceda acuta, Ceda humula, Ceda rhombifolia, and Ceda spinosa found them to have very similar amounts of very similar alkaloids, including tryptolepine. An analysis of five Cedas, including Ceda acuta, Ceda alba, Ceda spinosa, Ceda cordifolia, Ceda rhombifolia, and Ceda urines, and that's because some of them have more than one name. If you're going, wait, wait, that's more than five, found them to have similar alkaloid constituents in but varying levels of polyphenols. And there is a chart at the bottom of the page showing the phenolic compounds, the flavonoids, the flavonols, and the tannins in those five different cedars. Thank you, Stephen. The antioxidant activity of the plants followed pretty much in the same order, with Ceda alba having the highest and Ceda urines having the lowest. And in terms of phenolic compounds, Ceda alba had a score of 33 and Ceda urines had a score of 4. Um, in terms of tannin, Ceda alba is, has a score of 26 and Ceda urines has a score of 2.2. Flavonoid Ceda alba has a score of 5 and Ceda urines has a score of 0.2. The antioxidant activity of the plants follows in the same order, with Ceda alba being the highest and Ceda urines being the lowest. When the plants were tested for anti-inflammatory action, their lip oxygenase and xanthanine oxidase inhibition was looked at. The LOX, that's lip oxygenase, was inhibited 80%. The ALBA, 79% by acuta, 21% by cordifolia, and 47% by urines. For the xanthioxidase, the XOX, the ALBA inhibited it by 47%, and the others about that percent with the cordifolia, again, being quite low. Thus, all species of CEDA are successfully used to treat liver disease, including hepatitis B. This is especially true in Burkina Faso. The authors of a study there were exploring mechanisms that might explain the effectiveness of CEDA. CEDA alba, also called CEDA spinosa, is a fairly high in ecdysteroids, which are adaptogenic and explain in part the plant's use for people who are debilitated in traditional practice. Numerous studies have found that Ceda cordifolia possesses very potent anti-inflammatory and analgesic activities. That's very interesting because remember that it had the, the least anti-inflammatory action. An alkaloid with a tremendously long name, one of the 
Quinazoles, a group of which Cryptolepine is a member, was found to be the most potent source of the activity. In vivo studies, an aqueous extract of Cordifolius stimulated liver regeneration in 67% of the rats who had had part of their liver removed. It was also found that CEDA is strongly antimicrobial, especially in stressed mice, and that use of the plant after myocardial injury showed significant increase in antioxidants in the heart tissue. And, of course, myocardial injury is code for heart attack. CEDA, an excellent plant to have on hand if somebody has a heart attack. Other studies found that it protected from neurotoxicity. Wow. Cedar is certainly one fantastic plant. And once again, we have just talked ourselves right to the end of our short but wonderful half hour together. And when we come together next week, who knows? What will happen? Will we continue on with Herbal Antibiotics and Stephen Herod Booner? We have done a lot of work with this book, and maybe we will go on to a new theme. Since we've spent, it looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, 15, about 16 weeks, about four months on Herbal Antibiotics. Natural Alternatives for Treating Drug-Resistant Bacteria. Thank you, Stephen Harrod Booner. It's been a great run. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. All right. Thank you so much, Susan, and green blessings to you. Welcome, and green blessings to you, and thank you for giving me this space to remind everybody that herbal medicine is people's medicine. It really is the plants that grow right outside your door. Green blessings, everybody. And everyone, you're listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Miss. Susan Weed, and we will be back next week, Tuesday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, with Green Magic Green Medicine right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network, the show and network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street, a little bit like the right outside your back door theme, than you may have ever imagined. Thank you, and see you again next Tuesday and on the other shows. Forbidden Archaeology Forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn.